Union Jack Radio, the home of great British comedy. And she said, Jim, I've got to be honest, I prefer to sleep with my horse. <gasps> Took me a while to get, to, how can I say, to get back in the saddle after that one. <laughs> <laughs> on digital radio across the UK, on the Union Jack app, and on that Alexa lady. This is Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory. <laughs> Today, Jim Rosenthal takes Jeff on a trip down memory lane on Union Jack Radio. Lord Jim, hello. Lord Jim. That's what they call you, isn't it? Elevated, elevated to the peerage. I'll, t- I'll take Lord, why not, why not? Have you got any, any, any honours? Any honours? Um, no, no, t- who are you talking about? Taps on the shoulder and OBEs and MBEs yeah, yeah, and things yeah. like that. Services have, to have, broadcasting. Have, 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 have mercifully passed me by so, so far. And, I, I, and I'm not, not when those honours list comes out, I'm, I've got a pal of mine who, who is, is so upset when he's not included. And I always get a text, text from him as well saying, missed out again, son. But um, <laughs> I, 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 it, uh, it doesn't affect me that much, if, if I'm honest. I'm not, I'm not expecting a tap on the shoulder. You see, I, I, what I'm hearing here is a man who has discreetly turned it down at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think wish, that's the way to go. If, if I, you never get the tap, I, I, you just I, insinuate that you've turned it I, down. I wish I could say that. Listen, the nearest I've got to that would be the Duke of Edinburgh's Gold Award, which I got way, way back. Um, and in fact, when I was around here here, here in Oxford, where we're speaking now, and, and, and that and about 15 or 20 years ago, the Duke of Edinburgh people discovered that I was the Rosenthal that actually got that gold award. So I've handed out a few awards at in, in St. James's Palace and things like that. And, wow. uh, and Buckingham Palace. Stolen and, and any done, cutlery? Done, done all that. I you know, not nothing nothing that I would admit to. Nothing <laughs> I, I, I'd admit to. So that, that's probably the closest. Now, before we get started, yeah. uh, I thought I would give you a, a right to reply because your son, Tom, right. was on the programme a, a while ago. He was. And I, I think you took umbrage with some of his recollections. <sighs> It's very hard to take umbrage with Tom because uh, we, we we do have a pretty strong family bond. But um, I think in, when when he spoke to you, and you're a very skillful interviewer, at sort of extracting these personal details, um, that, that he did suggest that we might have been part of a local swingers club where we. <laughs> when lived. in fact you were the heads of a local swingers club. We're the heads of it, yes. Um, and uh, I would just take issue with him very very slightly in that, that despite what he might or might not have found on the computer. Computer, um, <laughs> <laughs> the swinging, the swinging scene in uh, in leafy in leafy Berkshire where we live uh, has passed us by. That big bowl on the coffee table—it's very much uh, just for fruit, not for car keys. Well, that's what you, yeah. yeah. Although I would say that when we first bought bought uh, the house there, which was a long time ago, um, a couple of people did say to me, "Oh, there is a very lively swinging scene there." Um, but as, as Tom was about a year old then, and it was it, it, just. Uh, didn't have the energy for it. Didn't have the energy. He took it. He, he absolutely took took it out of both of us. Really. So, <laughs> I can't tell if that would be good or bad for house prices. 
Um, well, house prices at the moment are through the floor, to be quite honest, aren't they? Because of this this wonderful, wonderful thing that we're trying to negotiate or not negotiate. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's the key it, to, to yeah, getting a, swinging, could, a swingers it, club it, it could, could boost be. house it, prices. It, it, it could be. You never know. But you have a bit of an edge to the place and and and, and get get the swinging scene going. <laughs> Look, it, listen, it might have been going on the whole time in the last 30 years since I've lived there. But like in many things, I'm totally oblivious to it. So, <laughs> so, so where were you born then? Tom, Tom had some difficulty uh, in, in remembering. Yes, Tom is, a, is an amazing human being, really, in, the, in that he has got an, a really sharp brain that can retain an hour's worth of, of stand-up very easily and all sorts of uh, lines for, for the job that he does on, on stage, but um, cannot remember the most basic things in life. Um, but he, he should have remembered where I was born, because I was born, again, not too far from where we're speaking now, um, at a place called Boar's Hill, which is a couple of miles outside of Oxford. And I was born so far back on the 6th of November 1947, which is um, a long time ago, isn't it? Yeah, was that during rationing? Um, I wasn't aware of any rationing, but it was. It would have been just, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and I, I, but I was not aware of, of, of rationing. I wasn't aware of going that hungry either, but I think it, it still would have been there. It still would, would have been around at that time. So what, um, was, what was the house you were brought home to? Um, the first, I was... I think my parents must have moved pretty quickly after I was born because the first house that I can remember and the house where I lived um, up until the age of about 16, 17 um, was a place called Half Acre on the Ridgeway on, on Borsa, which has now been knocked down actually, but it was now right at the top of, of the road and that's the house. And it's called Half Acre because there was half an acre of, of land around it. Um, I did put up a pair of, or my, my dad put, put up some goalposts for me that was very nice of him very early on in my life so I think and I think um, they re- they probably realised and much to their discontent my mum and dad who were both from a pretty academic background that the world of academia was not going to be for me and the world of antiquarian book dealing which my father was in which which again people look at me and are absolutely sh- <laughs> staggered when I they say uh, when I tell them actually my dad was an antiquarian book dealer and he did, dealt in very valuable things and, and, and it was sort of musical manuscripts it was musical and- manuscripts and, and he had he had a, a couple of offices uh, in Oxford one in Turl Street and one in Broad Street in, in, in Oxford and was very much Oxford based and um, I think he realised quite early on in life that um, the collecting world, beyond the world of collecting football programmes and scrapbooks and things like that, which I did, uh, was going to pass me by. And um, my mum uh, took a li- it took a bit longer for the penny to drop with her, if I'm honest. It was a business and, they ran together. Um, well, she was involved in it. She she owned half of the business, um, and and it was it was. Uh, uh, being in Oxford and being on the academic side of Oxford as well. I mean, Oxford, as you, you might well know, in those times and pretty much now, I guess, is the same thing. It was town and gown and, and the workers were up in, in you know, the Cowley side of things, if you like, and, and the gown was down with the, with the academia down below. And if I'm honest, I, I identified a lot more with the guys up the hill than the ones down below, if I'm right. honest. Right. I'm honest. And, um, but it took... It, and did your parents then think, oh, he's fraternising with people from the wrong side of well, the tracks? Well, they weren't like that. In, in, in fairness, they, they weren't like that. And I went. I was very lucky that I went to a school in Oxford um, called Morden College School, where at that stage it was a sort of direct grant school, and you got you got the sort of the academia there, and you got the bright sons. It was a boys' school, sons from from 
from Cowley or the industrial side, and you've got some in the middle. And I would consider myself being in the middle of that of that group, if you like, Jeff. And and what and, about? So, sorry. Yeah, no, I'm just saying. So, and that was that was a great school, you know, across the board type school, really, and and it was really good for me. And um, and I was amazingly, I rose to the heights of head boy there because perhaps because I stayed on longer than anybody else because <laughs> my dear old mum just wanted me to get all these exams to get into Oxford, and I kept co- coming up a bit short. You so. see, stayed on to the age of thirty-four. So, so I was, I was <laughs> the oldest old boy. I was almost. You're not still bloody here, are you? Um, I want to just press pause on, on yeah. this for a minute because I want to get into school days uh, yeah, in, in a little yeah, while. Yeah, no problem. But I just want to get a picture of home. So you were one of a few. Are you one of four? Yes, I was, yeah. So um, where, where do you fit in? I, I, well, I had an elder sister and uh, a younger sister and I also had a, um, a younger brother uh, who was who was Down syndrome and died in his 20s, um, which is very sad. Uh, but my two sisters, uh, siblings, still live still live in oxford um and uh, and growing up growing up at home yeah i was i was a little bit in the middle i suppose what's the age difference between you and your elder sister five years so you you were a little baby when you were born sort presumably of, sort of yeah five years and a younger sister's five years down down as well um but, but but as a family we pretty we sort of we went our own ways really we we did go our own ways and and we were allowed allowed to do that and i think my dad was always very very busy um my mum she had her own world as well in around Bors Hill and around societies there and things like that and um don't get me wrong i wasn't i wasn't sort of uh, maltreated in any way or anything like that but um i remember my mum was the worst timekeeper known to man and there would be, I mean, I would probably be taking into care these days because I would be sitting outside school when she'll be here in a minute, she'll be here in a minute. And like two and a half hours later, my mum would tip up and, and get me. Not me. It's just, she was just a, just a chronic timekeeper. What really. has that done for you? Are you either very late are you a person yourself or are you extremely punctual as a reaction to it? Spot on. Punctual. Right. Punctual. So would that I tripped up. It, well, I was here half an hour early for this, for this. And I guess apart from the hatred of hanging around waiting for people, which was put them in a very early age. Right. I also, when you do what we do, there's not a lot of bonus points in turning up late. No. I've always thought that. So also, you become a bit obsessed with time. If you're used to working in a medium where you're looking at the clock yeah. the whole time, yeah. You, I think you have a much better thing of how, uh, sense of how long things take. Well, there's no, I mean, there's no, there's no mileage if you're doing a live programme and you're not there for the start of it, is it? You're not, you're not going to be doing that live programme that for, happened for, to you? for very long. No. No, I've always, I, I'm, and I, I don't, um, in terms of dreams and things, I, I'm a very easy sleeper and I sleep on anything. I sleep, I've fallen asleep on helicopters and planes and goodness knows what. But the one reoccurring dream, bad dream. That yeah, have, yeah, anxiety dream. Is that I'm due somewhere and I'm stuck in traffic and I can't make it. And uh, so that is probably a product um, Mr. Psychologist of of an upbringing where, and we were we were always like we were late for trains and things like that, and going on holidays, and then we were always the panicky ones there at the end and you know, right, rushing right, right. with the bags all over the place. <laughs> and it, it did my head in, to be quite honest. And it and and and, and I know Thomas; he's always accused me of being obsessed. And you know, why are you there so early, Dad, and all that stuff? Because he's a bit of a late night. So you like one of these people who gets to the airport now three and a half? No, I'm not half, that bad. Right, right. I'm not. No, I'm not that bad because. I, I particularly in the world of Formula One, when you're on a plane every couple of weeks for for, for nine months, uh, as I was, you you did learn to time it and you did learn to get there. I think I missed one plane in my life. I think 
through and that was when I was sitting sitting at the airport and, and, and the actual speaker above me didn't wasn't working and, and the flight didn't get and we went with I said we better amble down for this flight and people they're always gone so wow. that was that was the only yeah that was the only time but but yeah um I guess uh, if you want to strip me down you go yeah he's a bit an obsessive timekeeper I'll hold my hand up and plead guilty to that Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack Radio. So, so just that. Per- I'm wondering with that personality type, was there something quite chaotic about your parents? Was it was their house a mess? I mean, I'm imagining piles of books and papers everywhere. Was it? Was it that? That was the deal. It was it. That right. was the deal. I mean, they hated throwing anything away, especially my mum. And I can remember graphically, we had a new garage built. And um, within a few months, it was full of old newspapers and magazines, and, th- and you couldn't get the bloody car in there. And 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 whether it was the background, whether it was just the world they've been brought up in, that everything is, everything is valuable, and and that with you just talking newspapers and magazines, let alone norm, you know things normal things that people throw away. And it wasn't a tidy house. It was it wasn't an order. Was, was it, it wasn't messy? a horrible house. So it wasn't me... to the extent that if it was these days they'd be making a Channel Five documentary about it. Probably. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. On the, you know on what on what's all the but I, I, I it was it was and again perhaps because being used to, to dealing in ancient manuscripts and ancient things like that that that, that a value was seen in, in absolutely everything. But yeah, you're right. And there were there I was surrounded by books and surrounded by things in, in every in every way really you, you you had to sort of fight for a bit of room in that house and and what about music because music was part of the, sort of their their family yeah. was it was was the house filled with music some you you it would was, have been no no it, it was it was in fairness but again I, i'm i'm sort of building myself a sort of black sheep reputation here and i would think and i mean we've i'm I only had one, one, one kid, as you know, and I've resisted it in terms of taking him to places that I really like and I really enjoy, and I, I tried to let him make up his own mind. And so I went to so many operas, concerts, art galleries, museums, etc., etc., and I couldn't lay a handle on it, if I'm honest. And instead of going, okay, we'll leave it. They, Kept on, kept on, and now right. it's been a very hard thing to shake off for me. Really, opera is another. It's another thing which, to this day, I can't get my head around opera. And I think that was because, as a kid, I've sat so on the old eyelids were going and things, like that, and I think that I just, I just don't like this. And so the music side of it, in some ways, while trying to help me, they might have turned me off it. I, I did, don't know, but did, so I went my own way. Um, my first song that I can remember when I was about eight, nine, there's a, there's a guy called Lonnie Donegan who, who, oh, who yeah, was a yeah. big skiffle man. And Rock Island Line. Rock Island Line. But he recorded his version of Does Your Chewing Gum Lose Its Flavour on the Bedpost Overnight at the New Theatre Oxford. And I was there for that recording. I'd have been about eight or nine. And so I think my poor old dad in particular thought, well, there's no hope for him here. You know, he's 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 knocked out all the Mozarts <laughs> and all the all the other stuff, and he's gone for Lonnie Donegan. Because so. that was a craze. I mean, it in, was. in the fifties, all these teenagers were forming skiffle bands. That's yeah. how the Beatles ended, yeah. ended up coming about. But it was kids with some crappy guitars, tea chest bass, right. anything, yeah. sort of playing yeah. drums on a box. I mean, what that must have looked like to your your dad, who'd well, grown that's up right. With- no, I, I I know. But he listen. He he was he was 
he let me do my own thing. He really did, which was which was really good of him. And he but he was he was very supportive. Um, and I say, um, my mum gave me the best, unwittingly the best motivational line that I I could get when I was fifteen or sixteen, and we were having one of many disputes, if you like. And she said, "It's quite simple. If you don't go to university, you'll lick stamps for the rest of your life." And for the rest of it, I thought, "I'm going to prove you so wrong here." <laughs> and we, you've never licked a stamp. You've got I, somebody who I, licks stamps for you now. <laughs> the good stuff, yeah. So, but, <laughs> train the dog but to again, do it. Again, honestly, look out, look now about what to do and how to parent and how to say and things. Like, and and that would not be in the list of great parenting lines, would it? Really, no. But it worked for me. So, thank you, Mum, for saying that unwittingly and driving and driving me on probably every single working day of my life, if I'm honest. And what was your primary school? Um, I went to a school called Joskers, which is, um, and when I started, we went there and it was, I think there were only about nine kids there when I started. And it's now a well-established school now. It's, it's, it's rocked on. It's got very good new premises uh, quite near Abingdon, actually. And um, the great thing there that they had, there was a, a, a headmaster there who was um an interesting character. I won't go into any more detail than that, but he was a guy called John Clotworthy. He was an interesting character. But the one thing that he did for me was that he, he was very keen on theatre and very keen on stage work, and, and we did plays, did a lot of plays. And he got me on stage and he got me using my voice and got... and. Uh, so do you remember help, your first time on stage where you were a shepherd? I mean... Help, help me now. We did something called Annie Get Your Gun, we did. Right. Which we did the Oxford Playhouse, would you believe? I mean, he was... I mean, he had a few bob and he sort of hired the Oxford Playhouse and, wow. put, and put sort of amateur dramatics on the Oxford Playhouse. Ridiculous. Um, but I can... And I, what I remember mostly about it was that I would do this stuff and when you got on stage, there was no fear. There was a bit before it when you got up there and started doing it I had no fear at all and I think again that sort of carried through to when I started doing telly and things and that before it you're a little bit but once you start no fear and and you know I, I, I've I say I would, I would thank him for instilling that into my life so Annie Get Your Gun was your first one then the first one I can remember, I'm doing a bit like Tommy, aren't I? I can't remember, I can't, I can't remember anything remember about who my, you my, my, my early life. Now, who was I in Annie Get Your Gun? I was. I, I think I was one of her kids, I think, in Annie Get Your Gun. And I, I take it there's not, I you can't so. retrieve a line for us from no, the back I of your mind. No, anyway. that is, that, my memory won't, won't do that for But you, you never had but that moment in a school play that some of us have had where something's gone horribly wrong or you you wet yourself or you forgot the lines and it's no, not, stayed with you for not, life? Not, not really. No, that's, the, I mean, you'd know that in every Everybody asks you that, don't they? What's the worst thing? And yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. and 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 they've they've mostly been uh, slip of the tongues where something has come out which you which but that those horrendous moments that that so far touch with. Well, I think we both avoided those, haven't we? The real the real awful car crash moments. Yeah, everybody, they're always just like tiny would, things you they, wish yeah, you hadn't are. said like thirty yeah. years ago. Oh no, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Oh no, there's a lot of listen. I'm sure if, you know, if, and people who haven't got anything better to do, you could dig back on stuff and things that I've said that were appropriate at that time or things you've done that now you'd look at and you go, I shouldn't have done that really. But that was the time. Yeah. Wasn't it? That was, that was the time. And, 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 and you did those things. And, then, and, but it, it, it's, it's such an interesting game, ours, in that you can do hours, days, weeks of, of good shows and you get one thing wrong and, 
the mistake is what you're remembered for. Yeah. And, and nothing. I mean, dear, I mean, the, the biggest example is poor old Michael Fish, who has done the old <laughs> cloudy in the north, sunny in the south, you know, for the, all his working life. And once said, <laughs> don't worry about that. That's not coming out, I reckon. And that's the only, <laughs> only thing the poor guy's been remembered for, isn't it? And he must think, well, what, a fair, what sort of world is this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Poor lad, I always feel sorry for him. Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack Radio. Who was who was your best friend at school? Um, who did I? Have? I had a very good, very good friend. Some some good friends when I left school and I moved on to Morden College School. Um, a good guy called Richard. I remember Richard Quainton was a very good good pal of mine, and and he was he was. Um, he was a sod, you know, he was a good, very good sportsman, very tough guy. And I, just, I mean, he's a hard bloke to keep in touch with, but, but if, if he, you know, he's, he's. You make um, it sound like he's some kind of an international gangster. He's, well, he's gone under the ride. I don't right, know. Right. I've, not, I've, not heard from, I've not heard from him for ages. Um, you did see an school, identikit photo of him. Yeah, that's probably, probably some gang master somewhere. You're probably, you're probably right, people <laughs> smuggler or something. Um, but I, but it's, in, it's interesting. I'm, I actually at school, one of my best friends was, was a teacher, it was a guy called Brian Martin, who who was a, an outstanding English teacher at Morden College School, and and I think teachers, you you know, you either empathise with them and get on with them, or, or you or you don't. And he wasn't he wasn't that much older. He was he was probably eight or ten years older than than, than me. And he, he was in charge of the hockey team, and I played a lot of hockey at school as, as well. But he was just and his method of teaching was so good and and in what it, way well it, it, he would keep order like no other teacher and his basic premise was i don't want to waste my time looking at you guys in detention i don't want to have you i don't want to sit in here right in line so you know be, follow me and we'll all be fine and also he he also had the ability to get your imagination going on texts and 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 he he, he was just something i could relate to really well and the fact I guess that he was a he was a very good hockey player himself we played in the same sort of hockey same teams together that helped um and he's still around in Oxford and I still still chat to him from time to time and I had to do something for one for a magazine about the the best teacher that I, that I had and I would put him in there unhesitatingly really because actually maintaining order which is now an increasing problem in schools um I mean I I form the conclusion there's nothing more horrible than a group of school kids getting together oh yeah yeah i mean they are i'm, I'm oh we were we were proper evil really um and and the, the the spring term used to get um trainee teachers there and you smell the weakness oh and there's something about the oh, pa- the, the pack it turns into a pack when oh, you smell it, the weakness yeah i mean it's and this this guy turned up and and very first lesson and and he he made one of the biggest mistakes that you you could imagine and he said look I've just got to tell you, I've got a bit of a weakness with names. So can you all please sit in the same seat? I mean, uh, and no, we'll be all no right. teacher addressing kids for the first time uh, should say, I've got a bit of a weakness. I mean, that's, that's error so, number one, isn't it? And so, and that we, we all looked at each other and we thought, here we go. Yeah. And then so we go, oh, so so you're Jeff, aren't you? No, I'm not. Oh, no, I'm Jim. Oh, right. Oh, so you're Richard. No, I'm not. And And in the end, in the end, he had a breakdown in front of us. Literally broke down in tears in front, and ended up in a, in a, in a, a local hospital, the Warmford Hospital. Ended up there. You hospitalised him. We hospitalised, and do you know what? We were going. What a result that is! Yeah, 
I mean, the most we ever managed was getting somebody to hide in the station recovered. But but in the end, in the end, again, in the harsh reality, we probably did him a favour because I've never known anyone less suited to teaching than him. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a cruel way of finding out for him. And I'm just saying, it was, it was, so it was, it was, it was sort of. um, yeah, it was a, quite a tough environment as well, certainly for him. But we something I've found talking to people on this, if if you're my age or older, you've probably encountered a sadistic teacher. Yeah. There was something that happened if you went to school maybe in the 80s or later than that where teachers stopped being sadistic. Well, you, well I mean, basically you couldn't lay a hand on anybody, could you? I think in, in, in those times you mentioned, very different, very different. That, um, I mean, we, we, we had a... I, and I was hopeless at it, you know, chemistry, maths, I was useless. And we had a chemistry teacher called Simmons. And uh, and his favourite his favorite way of getting whatever a formula into your head, if you didn't know it, was to stand behind you with a bunch of keys and hit you on the back of the head. And you go, H, hit, 2, hit, S, hit, O, hit, 4. And that, you know, the old tears. Yeah. And... Um, now, anybody listen to that these days? What the bloke should be in jail? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was a, you know, he was a very, very good teacher. Well, you just remember that formula. Well, I did, I did. Yeah. The, only, I didn't, the only thing I could remember, but but he, and and the nose. If I went home and I went, oh, you know what, Dad, um, that teacher hit me with a bunch of keys, and he'd go, you probably deserved it, didn't you? He's not going to be going right. I'm getting the car and go to school. That's a disgrace. What you, you know, right, because right. they actually the parents supported the teachers, and I think that's what's changed dramatically, isn't it? Is that now anything, any vague thing the parents are there saying, "What have you done?" And and it probably it probably is it should be a better environment, whether it is or not. I'm not sure. Um, and but it, it it's uh, I, I think teachers now have to look after themselves a little bit, you know, have to protect themselves. I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's right for teachers to hit anybody. Um, but in those days at school, I mean, going back to, to where I was, and I was head boy for a year. And again, this, sound, this sounds prehistoric. The prefects, of which I was one and head boy, had the right to beat fellow pupils. Wow. Okay. Did you get any training now, in beating? Well, but they had the right. And I, when I started off, and I said, look, I'm not going to have any kid on my watch getting beaten. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's not going to happen. And there was a, <laughs> I can't name him, but, but there was a guy who I didn't get on with who was also a prefect. And would you believe on the last day of my tenure as head boy, he beat a kid just, just so that I, I would... Um, uh, just so that I couldn't get my perfect year. Oh. And he beat a kid for doing literally not running in the playground or something daft. Well, let, let's starve him of the oxygen of publicity. I would we're, not tell we're, him. We're, we're I, not going to I, I, I would not name him. But there That's insane. That like, Who are we going to put in charge of hitting kids? Other kids? Well, it was ridiculous. And it, I mean, whether it still goes on at other schools, I don't, I don't know. But it was one it was, um, it was... But, but Morden College School was good for me. I mean, it, it was it was a good school. It didn't get me to university, but it was a good school. So we sort of touched on the the interest in performance. Where did the interest in sport come from? Because am I right in mm. thinking that wasn't from your family? It wasn't part. No, of... not really. Yeah, no, not 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 really. It was just ingrained, I think, for me. I, you know, I, and I say from putting the the goalposts up in 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 in, in the back garden. And it all it all came from there. But where, it was just, we, I, I, it's very hard to. I mean, I you know I can tell where my timekeeping came from, you know, but I, yeah. where that where that sporting interest came from, um, I'm not sure. I can remember watching the first 
um, the first FA Cup final on TV, which was like 1953, I think, well, I'd been five or six and sort of wondering at it all. And there was a, a goalkeeper called Troutman who broke his neck playing for Manchester City, broke his neck. And, and I, I was fascinated how anybody could play with a broken neck and things. And I was just, it was just something that, that and I, I did enjoy, always enjoyed playing myself. And it just came, it came from there. And how did you choose your football team? Well, that was Oxford. I mean, that was which was which was just natural because yeah. because, and they were called Headington when I started, and then they they graduated to Oxford, and because I was that was my home city, that was where I went to all my schooling. It's when I worked on the local paper as well, um, and and that stick and that sticks with me, and and it always will do. It always will do, really, and. Um, and Tom has moved on to sort of Arsenal, when you, which which is which is where close to where he lives as well. Um, but that, at it, it it's it is a sort of long lasting. I wouldn't call it a love affair, really, more a boil on your back in some ways, <laughs> <You know? laughs> an affliction. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is that. It is that. It is that. Um, but um, uh, and that just came from from the local environment. And and and. Was it football first, and then quickly you develop an interest in all sports? I, I know think, you mentioned hockey. Yeah, I think. I mean, I was good at hockey. I played sixty times for Oxford, kept kept goal for them, and and uh, and I was okay. I had a trial for England, and but it, that then you start working and you start covering sport. And I remember when I was on the Oxford Mail, someone, a guy, Peter Sykes, who was a very good good guy, deputy editor there, and he said to me, "Jimmy, you're going to have to choose. You can't. You can't do both." And I actually. Th- Tried to do both, and I played a game for Oxfordshire at Gerrard's Cross against Buckinghamshire, and I got uh, about hockey, but you get short penalty corners as they were then, which is where someone smashes the bloody thing at you very hard. And I got hit once on one shoulder, and I got hit once on it, and I didn't see the ball each time. And I thought it was only a matter of time before I get my whole face removed here. And it, that was because I hadn't been playing properly. And I, I came off and I said, "That's me done. I'm, I'm not playing anymore." Um, and it was hard. That it was hard because it was, it was, it was. Um, it was a very enjoyable activity. Have you got any scars from childhood? A couple on my knee, I think. All um, sporting related. Yeah, that was because in those days, I mean, you cut your knee and, and and stitching wasn't wasn't great, and then you'd reopen it and things like that. Um, and I got I got a scar across one of my. I was in a big car crash. Eighteen or nineteen, I guess I was, um, and I was due to go for an interview. Would you believe at the Oxford Mail's the week after? And I had that we had my mum had won this old Citroen in a, in a raffle, and it was a, one of these weird old two C. It wasn't even the two CVs it was called the Citroen Diane. It was right. called. Would you believe? And and it was it was built to go on flat, you know, and, and it was quite fine. But going uphill was hopeless, and I was going up a hill called Hinksy Hill, up to my home. And someone overtook me, and then someone coming down the hill was blinded and just cleaned me out completely. Oh, yeah. And my sister went past the, and recognised the car. I thought I was dead, to be quite honest. And the, the, the whole car disintegrated around me. And, and I got a massive load of glass in, in, in my head and broke a leg and things like that. So you're in hospital for a while after yeah, yeah, I did a few days in hospital, yeah. And and I could guarantee to clear a bar, you know, or, or I had to, to take my glasses off and people would sort of look away. Look um, away. And, and, and that, was, that, was, that was a bit of a heavy hit, really. But it, it set me back going because I couldn't go for an interview like that as well. Jeff Lloyd's Hometown Glory on Union Jack Radio. What was your um? What was your what were your forms of entertainment in Oxford? In Oxford, cinema, cinema, yeah. cinema. Pub. First film you ever saw? First film I ever saw. Wow, that's too quick. Um, I, 
how I can't do that one. Okay, well then, then what, what... I can't do that. When you think of going to that cinema, what springs to mind? Butch Casting and the Sundance Kid, that was a grip. But again, I'd have been... I'd have been older. I, I was knocking on then, yeah. 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 Um, first movie. Wow, good question, Jeff. I should, I should, I, I should have been primed for that one. I can't remember the I'm first I'm surprised. One. I think people usually, yeah, usually bring that f- to mind. What was the film. cinema like? Was it like sort of an old-fashioned, the yeah, manager's yeah, wearing a tuxedo? The Ritz, the Ritz and the Regal and all that, and then someone going down the front with the chalk ices and, and, and whatever. And I still, I've got a love of the cinema now. I still, you know, just been to see The Joker and all that. And I, 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 a good night out for me is a good movie still, even even with Netflix and all that stuff at home. So, Do you think, well, no, I'm not trying to goad you into sounding like an old curmudgeon, that people's <laughs> behaviour <laughs> in the cinema has changed over the years so take mobile phones out of it which drives yeah. me insane yeah. do you think people have lost the sense that the cinema is a shared space and you know you, well, you're going to behave accordingly well I'll equate it to sport really and I used to used to go to America and you go and watch NFL or baseball or whatever there and you think don't these people ever stop eating? Yes. I mean, what is the? Can you not sit for an hour without eating and drinking? Yeah. And, and and like many things American, that has spread over here, and it seems to me that people in movies have to have a great, you know, great load of popcorn or or whatever, and something to drink as well. Um, and I think that's the behaviour of that, that. That's changed. That's the biggest change for me. Are you a confident shusher? It's a dangerous activity, isn't it? It's, it's the only time I've... I've I you think, get shot in America if you I know, do I know, but I think you're in the dark. They can't tell who's doing it. It's, it's, yeah, it is a dangerous one. Uh, it, 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 it's, um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it that that often. I haven't... In all honesty, it's, it's perhaps, perhaps... I mean, I'm a member of the old picture house in, in Henley and things like that. You go there and, and mostly people go there to watch the movie. There's not, there's not, not too much where you need... Well, you need you need to shush him down, but I would do it with caution. I think I'll take a look at the size first. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't give us first film. Can you give us the first record you bought? I think that would have to be a Lonnie Donegan record, a Rock Island Line. And do you know where that first, would have been from? Be the first one. No, I think they were, I think I think. Oh dear. Curries would it have been a Curries in High Street or something like that? I think so. I think that 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 would be be from there. Um, the old seventy eights where you you know if you're not very careful you sat on them and they smash shatter. Yeah, yeah, yeah very brittle. Yeah. So that 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 would be that. And um, and then you go from seventy eight to forty fives and thirty threes and things. Which I, it was a good collection at one stage. Sadly, I've, I think they've all gone now. But you're you're of a, you're um, of the exact right right age to have uh, when rock and roll hit and then yeah. you know the British. Beat music, the Beatles and the Stones and so yes, on. Was yeah. that a big big part of your life? Yeah, it was. And I was more I was more of a Beatles man than the Stones man and until until well, until recently, because I've I've seen the Stones. Obviously you can't, can't can't go and see the Beatles. I've seen the Stones a, a few times. But no, the whole Beatles explosion was was phenomenal really. And it's really interesting how that you know, how that stuff has endured for me. And how very young people now can can relate to Beatles songs, and you sort of wonder whether that's going to be happening in whatever fifty years time. It's interesting, like you, with you, this stuff. It, there's always a new wave of Beatles fans coming along. Yeah, yeah. And I've always, I said, I've always yeah, play music in my car coming over, but yeah, and actually, without that, you see the old Union Jack playlist. I really like it. Yeah, I really, yeah. I really like it, and um, and I've always had. Uh, one of my pals once said, "Life's a rock concert for you, really, isn't it?" Because I always listen to a bit of music if if I, if I can. And would you go um, and see live music in Oxford? Would I go and see? So back there in the day, there wasn't that much on. Actually, I don't. Unless I got this wrong, I don't think there was too much too much on that I would go and see. And beyond the trip to see Lonnie Donegan recording the old, um, you know, does your does your chewing gum. 
Um, and yeah, I, I, I could be. Yeah, you know, simple answer is probably no, because I can't remember. To, can't remember too much seeing live music. And there were clubs. Yeah, there were there were, there were, there were Kid Creole and the Coconuts. I think he he played a few gigs around. But that's I'm moving it on slightly to to slightly later life. Though. Well, your teenage years. So you're at Morden College yeah. School. It's that's an all boys school, right? It, it was then. It's changed now. Yeah. So so oh, I got in so much trouble about that as well when somebody when it changed to to admit girls and and Tom's school in Reading and that done the same thing and 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 I and I was whatever I was I mean, one of the old Wayne fleets with a little bit of a profile and they, and I said oh, it's absolutely right yeah excellent wow I mean it, I mean it was and the, and the stick I got for you know for, for how what are you talking about you can't let them in here and all that seriously oh, ridiculous absolutely absolutely ridiculous but again it's uh, people you know I guess you have hundreds of years of of, of, of only boys going and then it, it it's it's that old thing people hate change don't they so where would you people go to meet girls then. Difficult, difficult. The old youth clubs and things like that. Like that. Do you remember um, your first crush? Club. We, we did I can't first, can first crush then. I can remember, yeah, I can, I can remember my, my first girlfriend, well, who I thought was her first proper girlfriend. And um, she was a lovely girl, really, really nice. And I thought this could be where I start for real. And and she she was um, into horses. She really liked her horses and whatever. And when I tried to, how can I put it, accelerate the relationship, and she said, de- "Giddy up." She delivered me a line that was like a. Even now, when I'm going to say it to you, like a dagger through the heart, and she said, "Jim, I've got to be honest. I prefer to sleep with my horse." <gasps> that's a that's a brutal one. That that is a, that is as we said. That is a proper kick in the head. That isn't it? <laughs> By a horse, isn't it? That yeah. is. That is. And, and I'm thought, looking at your face now. I can still see oh, the pain. It it's you know, half a oh, century I mean, later. I mean, not the old. Not the old. I'm not quite ready for it yet. No. Or, or whatever. Or you know, but not. But but that one. I mean, that's um, that that takes a takes a bit of coming back from that. Your heart it? was trampled you're, under you're the down hooves the field, of that horse. You're, you're down the field. Then are you running? <laughs> That was a brutal rebuttal. That, uh, um, yeah, that took t- t- me took me a while to get. To, to, how can I say to get back in the saddle after that one? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Lloyd's hometown glory on Union Jack Radio. Your first first job uh, as a journalist was here in Oxford. Yeah, it was, and, and goodness me, I, I, I was I was really lucky there. When I was at school, the tennis team won a competition. Uh, for for schools at Wimbledon called the Yule Cup, and I just went along for the ride. I wanted to see Wimbledon, and I wanted to see them, them play. I wasn't in the I wasn't in the team, and then we they won this thing from nowhere. And they're driving home, and they said, "Oh, we 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 got to get a bit of publicity for this." I said, "I'll write you something," and so and so I, I tapped it out. And I remember that the old offices were in Newin Hall Street in Oxford, in the centre of Oxford. And I went round and with pushed it through the door, and then lo and behold, next day I bought the paper. And there it was, my, and it was pretty much untouched. And I thought, poor, you know, I was 14 or 15 or something. I thought, right, that's not bad. And then we, it was a rugby playing school and we formed a football team because I didn't want to didn't, didn't want to play rugby too much called Wolvercote Wanderers. And we used to play on a Sunday in an under-19 league. And, and every Sunday night I would put in a couple of paragraphs and push them through the door. And more often than not, they appeared. And 
I found out when I started working the Oxmail why these reports kept appearing because it was the old letterpress and basically you'd have a page and columns of, of hot metal and there'd be a hole at the bottom because they'd someone, oh, get that Wolvercut Wonders report, stick that in there and it fills the page up. And so, and that, so I had a bit of a bit. That of is a, a good thing to learn on early on in a career in the media. They always need somebody to fill a hole. They do always, yeah. absolutely. So I, 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 I was a hole filler of the Ots of Mail and Times, and I'd battered away. And and people wouldn't they say, "How'd you get into the business?" And and the, the worst times were trying to get that door open. And those days, no internet, really. You just wrote letter after letter. Eight out of ten didn't reply. One would say no, thank you, and one would say possibly. Yeah, and and it was quite disheartening, and that's why a lot of people fall by the wayside. You'd get a lot of we'll keep you on file. Should all, anything, all that, all, yeah, that non- yeah. all tell you lies. Yeah, all, all that all that nonsense. But then it's they uh, a position opened up there, and and um, I got it, and they trained me the Oxford Mail and Times. And were fantastic, and 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 I did you know, started off on news and did all that. Who'd been knocked over on the A40? Who'd been arrested, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and okay, and the lesson that I learned there took about timekeeping as well. And and the guy said when I first started, said that you can outright Chaucer, you can outright Shakespeare, but if I get it at ten thirty one and not ten twenty nine, it's dead. And that was another thing that taught me taught me accuracy and I was working alongside a lot of sort of graduates double first from from Oxford who'd gone into it and they would they would the transition for them from having weeks to write an essay to someone saying you've got 10 minutes to give me eight paragraphs about this accident they couldn't handle it yeah and they would come Jim you do that Jim you do that because and that that training of being able to do stuff quickly and accurately again has helped me helped me so much all, all, all the all the way through from work from up to now, up to now. And, and how did you transition out of print journalism into broadcasting? Um, well, I was, again, I did, I sort of went into the four-year spans, really, and I had four years on the Ots of Mail, and, I, and I'd done everything for them, and they trained me really well, and then I got my old certificate, National uh, Council of the Training Journalists, it's got the old stamp, you are now a journalist. You got um, your hat and, with and a little sign so press of, in it. Sort of. And I was quite happy then. I went to see yeah. the editor and and, and, I, and I said, well, I've got this now and, you know, I've done four years and thank you very much. And, and he said, yes, we have reviewed your, your situation, Jim, and um, we're going to increase your weekly salary to £28.50 a week. And I thought, you know what? There's something that doesn't quite ring true here. And at, at that time, Radio Oxford opened up, and this guy called Tony Adamson, who was in charge of it, and he came to me and said, "Look, Jim, you're doing you're doing a lot. Of, would you do some stuff for us? And we give the credit to the you know to the paper." I mean, yeah, I'll do that. I said, "It's just better running across them." And this guy who was editor Barrington Ward, he was called. And he, he he was very ill-equipped to be an editor of a newspaper because he would never look you in the eye, he would never talk to you. And we had these corridors on the Oxford where you were so close when you went, went, that you were literally, you could smell each other's breath, and he still wouldn't talk to you when he went past you. Right. <laughs> and then he said to me, he said, quite simple, the first words you hear, we hear from you on there, you'll no longer have a job here. Seriously? And that was, and so again, and that got me going, I thought, well, this place is not for me anymore. So I, then I moved up to Birmingham, and I worked with a guy called Clive Everton, who actually had a couple of sn- a snooker magazine and a hockey magazine. But then he opened the door for me on Radio Birmingham, where I started doing stuff there. So that was that was the way in. Wow, that was the way. And in. that was the first time you ever moved away from Oxford. Then it was. 
Yeah, 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 to Birmingham. Yeah, and that's where I met Chrissy, who was who was a, a, a very sharp, my wife, a very good producer on Radio Birmingham. It's now called Radio WM. And and again, I you know, I, I st- and it was local radio was great because you could you could learn it, you could do it. There wasn't, I don't think we had a vast amount of listeners, to be quite honest. And one of the ironies was, in the middle of Birmingham, New Street, you couldn't hear Radio Birmingham. <laughs> All right, so you had an office, BBC Radio, but right in the middle of New Street, you couldn't hear the station. You could hear it. It was blasting through in Cannock and Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't hear it in the middle of Birmingham. Um, but it was really, and, and again, I started off doing news then and, 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 and doing sport there. Um, but again, I've, I've, wherever I've worked, I've got a lot of affection for, really. And, and by what route did you end up back in Oxford then? Because often when we're talking to people on this programme, they, they never get back to their hometown. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, it's, I guess, um, I, I'm bringing it right up to date, I'm coming here more often than not because I'm delighted to have an association with, with Union Jack and Jack here. So that, that, that brings me back here. Obviously, my sisters are still here. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I don't live that far away, th- three quarters of an hour away. It's a much changed city, Oxford, much changed city. I mean, the middle, to try and drive through the middle of Oxford is a no-go area, really. And um, I, I, after about 20 years here, I thought I've probably seen seen most of what there is to, to see in Oxford. But you, it's your hometown. You still have that. It still drags you back. You still have a huge amount of affection for it. And I would always consider myself an Oxford person. And if you could time travel to any of the places we talk to today, I wonder if it's it's going to be Morden College because you seem to hold that in such high esteem and 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 watch Little Jim. You're invisible. You watch Little Jim for five minutes of his life. I mean, yeah, where yeah. would you go back to? Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think Morden Morden College School was was um, we 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 had. Uh, I said the one teacher that we mentioned there was also an inspirational headmaster there as well, a guy called Robert Stanier, who, who was was, was a real in terms of um, understanding of kids and how you lived your life and all that, and and was was brilliant. And he did he did one thing with me when I again I was in the last week as, as head boy, and there was a there was a thing there called the the tuck shop where I was also managing that, and and we had what was the prefect's night out. And we went down to some Indian restaurant in Walton Street, and everybody got absolutely, absolutely sort of uh, slaughtered. And then we went back and I said, "We mustn't go into, mustn't go into the tuck shop. Everybody, said, we mustn't go into the tuck shop." And someone took the keys off me, and in, into the tuck shop they go, and also left the tuck shop open, and uh, a bike that we had saved up money for because the headmaster was going got stolen. So not so that I've been done on three counts. I've been done on being incapable at the dinner. I've been done on the top shop being open and this wonderful bike that we'd spent a lot of money on for the headmaster it was it's been nicked. All right. And I and I went to see him and I said yeah, told him what had happened. And he looked at me and he said, Not the best week of your life, is it? <laughs> <laughs> which is brilliant, which is, is so and so kind and understanding. And I'm thinking, I think I'm going to get absolutely killed here. And, that's, and so, uh, yeah, I guess if I'm, if you're taking me back, yeah, I'll, I'll pop back there and see and see what, see what's happening. All right. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it. Thanks for the memories.